0: In Luke 22, this morning, Luke 22, <clears throat> one of my favorite personalities, I try not to say characters because characters almost implies a, uh, a work of fiction, you understand there's nothing fictional about this book, but one of my favorite personalities is Peter. Peter resonates with me. (laughs) Can I tell you why? Because while Peter was capable of some pretty awesome things and did some things that really pleased the Lord, I don't know how else to say it, there were times that Peter was just an idiot. And yes, that resonates with me. I don't know how much of this is good and how much of this is useful, but the reality of it is I find that I feel like a failure more than I feel like a success. You can imagine that any way you want to, but I'm just speaking very generally. I feel like sometimes I get things wrong more than I get them right, and there may be somebody in here that's felt that way before. whether it's in my capacity as a pastor, I think I've handled something the right way. I think I've come at it from the right perspective, and then I see that not only was I not really any help, but maybe I didn't even, might have made it worse. I don't know. My preaching, I can't tell you how many times I've walked away. Now, I understand what the Bible teaches about his word never comes back void, and I understand all of that, but the humanity in a pastor and in a preacher walks away from a lot of messages saying, boy, I really goofed that one up. As a husband, I ain't alive, my wife deserves better than this. As a father, there's things I want to do for my kids that I wish I could. And there's been times I've had to go to my children. And by the way, Dad, you better be prepared to do this from time to time. Go to your children and tell them when you're wrong. And ask their forgiveness. We've all been there. The question is, will you stay there? You see, when you look at Peter's life, there's two words that kind of encapsulate Peter's life. And and I'm sorry to tell you, one of those words that you see pop up a lot in Peter's life is failure. You know? I mean, yeah, he said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And right after that, right after that, he rebukes the Lord, and Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. He's invited to be one of three to see Jesus transfigured on the mountaintop. And when he gets there, what does he say? Let's make three tabernacles, one for each of you. And God himself, the Father, corrected that. Peter just had a way of opening his mouth and putting in his foot. Peter mishandled his dealings with the Gentiles when the Jews were around early on in his ministry. Peter said the wrong things. He told Jesus, he, when Jesus said he'd be crucified, and no you won't, he corrected the Lord. Corrected the Lord. You see a lot of failure in Peter's life. And of course that's most pronounced in his denial of Christ, his thrice denial. But here's the thing, that's not the only word that characterizes his life. Yes, you see a lot of failure, but you also see a whole lot of fruitfulness. And that's that's the trick. That's what we want to get today. We understand that we're failures, but, but how do we get, like Peter, how do we get from failure to fruitfulness? Now, it begins with the mercy of God. That's why we sang His mercy is more. That's why we sang about His 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 saving blood in that choir. That's why we sang about Christ receiveth sinful men. Aren't you glad that you come to Jesus filthy and rotten and sinful and everything else? And He he doesn't just He doesn't begrudgingly accept you. He welcomes you with open arms and changes you. But you still find yourself failing. Peter failed miserably. But if you look at his life, you see this encouraging path. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. From failure to fruitfulness. From failure to fruitfulness. Father, would you help me as I preach this? May I do so in the way that most pleases you. May I be right on to your word, Lord. May I not deviate from it to the right or to the left. And would you have your will and way in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I give you a handful of principles? Let's read the text again just to be reminded of it. They're in the upper room, and and Jesus is about to predict Peter's denial, but but Luke gives us this added information in verses 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen Thy brethren. I want to give you a handful of principles to think about in this matter from failure to fruitfulness. Number one, failure is universal. Yeah. There's two groups that I worry about. I worry about the groups that do nothing but fail, but I worry more about the groups that claim to never fail. Verse 31. He says, Simon. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. In verse 31, the you there, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you, is plural. What do we take from that? He's speaking to Simon, but by extension, he's speaking to all the disciples. Satan wants to sift all of you. Satan wants to maximize all of your failures. He's not just after you, Simon, he's after all of you. He's after you, Peter. He's after you, John. He's after you, James. He's really after you, Judas. He's after all of you and failure is universal. As is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus' warning to all of the disciples, and by extension to us, is that failure is universal. And we invite, we, we embrace two truths from that. Number one, while we do not invite failure, we do not celebrate failure, we don't make light of failure, we don't just kind of kick failure down the can, we do understand and accept that failure is a part of life, but it is a forgivable part of life. Right. I'm not okay with failing, but I'm okay with knowing what to do when I do fail, yeah. okay? Okay. It's a forgivable part of life. Guys like John Wesley thought that that progressive sanctification could eventually get you to where you were sinless on this side. I got news for Brother Wesley. He was wrong. We are not going to be sinless on this side of heaven. We ought to be striving for that and seeking to be more like Jesus, but we're not going to be sinless. But I'm going to tell you this, when you do fail... If in that time you fail to employ God's forgiveness and grace, you will be paralyzed by guilt. How many Christians have we known, and at times it's been us, that because we didn't understand, yes, I fail, but God has put something in place to deal with that, we get, we get paralyzed by the guilt and by the feelings of failure that mount up in our lives. I've got news for you, friend. Failure is universal, but it doesn't need to be paralyzing. John told us if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God never asks us to do something spiritual that he's not already doing himself. In Matthew 18, Peter comes to Jesus, says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And then Jesus gives him a Jewish idiom that actually means every time. He says, I say none to thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Oh, well, then at 490 times I can quit forgiving. No. Jesus is saying, You forgive them every time. Now, if God's going to put that onus upon us, what does that say about Him? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, forgive me for adding here, every time. Amen. Hmm? And if you really grasp a hold of that truth, it doesn't make you feel like you have a license to sin. It makes you not want to sin as much. Yeah, that's right. We don't invite failure. We don't celebrate failure. We don't make light of failure but we accept it as a forgivable part of life. Here's the second truth. If you think you can't fail, you are in grave, grave danger. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. We're about to ordain Brother Davies. He's about to get into the fraternity of reverends forgive me if I sit down for a second. Already he knows this. We hear all too frequently of brothers in our service that have fallen. Preachers that have been caught in terrible sin. If our response to that Is anything but falling down before God and pleading that it not be us. Understanding that by by God's grace, that could be us. Can you believe what brother such and such did? That moron, what's his problem? No, I need to get before my holy God and say, oh God, search me and try me. Is there, I am capable of that. That is something that could be found in my life. God forbid, that's something that could be found in my life. Not only do I think I can fail, I know I can fail. That's right. By God's grace, I've been faithful to my wife thus far. Why? Because I'm a super Christian? No. I do love her immensely. But you may, you stay out of trouble when you make plans to stay out of trouble. That means that girl you knew in high school fellas, married fellas, that girl you knew in high school, get off a of messenger with her. Yep. Get her number out of your phone. You have no need of it. Yep. You hear me? Oh, I can handle it. Nope, you're about to fail. Yep. More than that, you're about to fall. Yep. Hey, ladies, that that coworker that Seems to have all the answers and your husband just continues to look like more and more of a rube. You better be careful. Hmm? Young people. You're writing relationship checks that you can't cash. And then wonder, how in the world you got into the mess you got into? Let him that think he standeth take heed, lest he fall. We are capable of Anything. Failure is universal. Let me give you the second principle. Jesus is aware of and remains present in all of our failures. I don't know that we meant to do it, but we fundamentalists over the years have kind of given this false theology that when you sin, God forsakes you. Not so. You know that he's promised he'll never leave us nor forsake us, right? Right? We see it in Matthew twenty eight twenty, we see it in Hebrews thirteen five. A break in fellowship does not mean a break in relationship. If my wife and I are not completely on the same page, we don't stop being married and we don't leave one another, we, we just aren't having the communion that we normally have. And we've got to get that fixed. Jesus has made provision for our failures just as he did Peter's. Look at verse 32. Satan hath desired to have you, plural, all of you disciples, and by extension all of us, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. That's singular. Peter, Satan wants all of y'all. But Peter, I'm praying for you. What's praying? When you pray, you talk to the Father, right? What's he saying? Peter, I'm talking to my Father about you. Now, does that happen with us? Yeah. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have An advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He didn't want you to sin, but if you do, he's praying to the Father, advocating to the Father for us. Friend, You may be sitting in the midst of a failure right now, of varying degrees. A failure could be something relatively simple. It could be something deep and dark, and I've purposely left it vague because I want it to touch as many people as we can. But you may be sitting in the middle of a failure right now. You may be licking your wounds over a failure that just recently took place. I don't know, but please do not believe Satan's lie that with each failure you forfeit the grace of God. You do not God's grace remains. Jesus is aware, and he remains present in our failures. Once again, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Failure is universal, y'all. But Jesus is aware of and remains present in our failure. Now, here's the third principle. God can use our failures for his glory. It's been rightly said that no failure is final and it doesn't have to be fatal. God can use our failures for his glory. Now, we would never say that failure is God's will. God led me to sin so he could teach me something. He'd never do that. Romans 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Of course not. James, James tells us that he won't tempt any man to sin. But we do understand that God can use any circumstance to develop a Christian and to accomplish his will. Would you agree with me that there have been some awful, terrible mistakes and failures that have happened throughout history that God, though he didn't author it, though he didn't endorse it, he used it for his honor and glory? Amen. Can I give you an example? How about Joseph and his brethren? Did God want Joseph and Joseph's brethren to cast him into that pit and sell him into slavery? Of course not. But did God use their failures for his glory? The answer is yes. Genesis 15 verse 18. It's been revealed to these brothers that the second in command of Pharaoh is their brother Joseph. They're already pretty nervous, and now they're really nervous because their father has died. There's nothing left to keep Joseph from exacting retribution on his brothers, and he could do it legally in Egypt. All he has to do is say the word, and they're gone. But listen to this. His brethren also went and fell before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Jesus told Peter that Satan desired to sift them. Did you notice that? Satan has to ask God's permission to do anything. Once again, God's permission does not imply God's endorsement. But you think of Job. Satan couldn't touch Job with anything except God allowed it. His purpose, Satan's purpose was to sift the disciples. He meant it for bad. Bad. I'm going to shake them up. The, 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 the picture is of somebody threshing wheat, and they would take that. It almost looked like a rake, and they would take that into the wheat, and on a windy day, they would throw that wheat up in the air. That was called sifting, and the, the wind would come through and blow away the chaff, that which was not usable, and the good usable wheat falls back down to the ground. Satan wanted to sift them. He wanted to shake them up and stir them up and throw them all over. But what Satan didn't understand was what he meant for evil, God was going to use for good. Yes, Satan would indeed sift Peter. And when he did, you would find that the chaff of Peter's life keeps blowing and the good stuff falls right back down to the ground. See, Satan has all kinds of plans for us that he thinks is really going to demolish us. But God's sovereign and God's in control and God can take even our most grievous failures and find a way to use them for his glory. The disciples would be sifted, and their usable traits would remain. Think about this. At this moment, they're about to all scatter in all different directions, and they're going to run scared, and they're going to hide scared, and Peter, worst of all, is going to be hid away somewhere, weeping bitterly over denying the Lord Jesus three times. But consider their ends. Now, I understand this is tradition, but there's a pretty good bet that this is close to right. Consider their ends, with the exception of Judas, who sadly we know how he ended. John was tortured, he lived. And lived to an old age, but he was tortured, but he remained faithful. James was beheaded, but he remained faithful. Andrew was crucified, but he remained faithful. Thomas was impaled, but he remained faithful. Philip was crucified, but he remained faithful. Matthew was stabbed, but he was remained faithful. Bartholomew was whipped to death, but he remained faithful. James the less was stoned and clubbed, but he remained faithful. Judas, not Iscariot, was stoned, but he remained faithful. Simon Zelotes was crucified, but he remained faithful faithful and peter the one we're looking at now what was his end on earth tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down but he remained faithful that sifting didn't at all do what this, what satan intended for it to do all it did was blow away their chaff that what god could use would fall back down to them Confess sin, well, not God's will, can be used by God to position and to equip you for his service. I'm not saying sin so God can use you more. I'm saying if you do sin, don't think God's done using you. Listen closely. If God can't overcome our failures, he couldn't save us to begin with. And your failure can become fruitful. In the forgiving hands of God. Preacher, this seems personal to you. What are you saying? Now, by God's grace, I'm not saying that I have sin in my life that disqualifies me from ministry or anything like that. But I'm telling you on a daily basis, I notice things in my life that displease God, things that come up short of his standard, and I'm really starting to get tired of it. I've told you before, one of the things I most look forward to heaven about, yes, I want to see Jesus, yes, I want to see my loved ones, but I cannot wait to shed this old flesh and to get a glorified body that doesn't hurt anybody's feelings anymore, that doesn't make the wrong decision, that doesn't say the wrong thing, that doesn't fail to act when I should act or fail to stay quiet when I should stay quiet. I can't wait to shed this stinking, rotten flesh that wants nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. I get so tired of failing. But I'm glad to know that when I do, God can still use it for his glory. And friend, your failures, God can use for his glory. But that brings us to the last principle. Follow me on it now because it's not going to sound right to begin with. God is sovereign. That is true. God is omnipotent. That is true. But God often leaves the fruitfulness of our failures up to us. He lets us decide how fruitful we're going to allow our failures to become. I want to give you a process. We see in Peter, we see a process that takes him from failure to fruitfulness. It begins, we're in Luke 22. It begins, first of all, with rebuke. Look at verse 60. Peter has denied Jesus three times. What happens after that cock crows? And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. He didn't have to say a word. He looked at him. Have you ever sinned? Have you ever failed And the Holy Spirit? Just looked your way and you felt rebuked. We call that conviction. Jesus looked at him and this brought about immediate conviction. Then what takes place after that? Remorse. Verse 61, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Can I ask you just a side question here? Yes, we all fail, but when's the last time you felt bad about it? You ought to at least feel bad about it. Remorse is not the same thing as repentance, but remorse should accompany conviction for sin. There should be some remorse. But you know what he gets next? He gets reassurance. Yes, he's under conviction. Yes, there's remorse, but then Jesus gives him precious reassurance. Why? Because remember, there may have been a break in fellowship, but there was not a break in relationship. What's, what's, the, what's the reassurance that he gives them? You don't turn there for time's sake unless you want to, but Mark 16, verse 6, the ladies have come to the tomb, and the angel is there at the tomb, and the angel has a message from Jesus himself to deliver. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him, but go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter. Boy, that's a reassurance. Peter, I'm not done with you. Peter, I still love you. Peter, it's going to be all right. Jesus leaves a message of encouragement. And you know what this does? This activates a deeper conviction. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when God's especially sweet to you, it puts you deeper into conviction? Why is this? Because of what Paul said in Romans 2, that the goodness and forbearance of God leads us to repentance. And that's when you get to repentance. It begins over the rebuke, a conviction, remorse. He reassures you, and then that leads you into repentance. Back in chapter 22, verse 32. What does Jesus predict correctly as he always does? I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted... The word converted there doesn't mean saved. It means literally to turn. It means to repent. When you repent. Notice he doesn't say if you repent. He says when you repent. So we know Peter repented because Jesus said he would. When you repent. When you're converted. Strengthen the brethren. So what happens after repentance? What do I do next? I've been rebuked by the Holy Spirit. I feel remorse. I'm I'm, I'm reassured by God, and so I repent of this failure, of this sin. What happens? Then you return. You go back to the point of departure. From who or what did Peter separate after he denied Christ? He got away from all the brethren, didn't he? He got off by himself. So what does he do? He comes back to the brethren. He comes back to where he should be over in Luke chapter 24, verse 12. The news has come of Jesus' resurrection. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. From where did he ran? He, run, he ran from the other disciples. He was back. He had returned to where he should be. Friend, if you've got a failure in your life and you repent of that, the next thing for you to do is to return back to your place of service. Return back to the people of God. Return back to the church of God. Return back to the family of God. Don't stay isolated. Get back to where you should be. But here's the thing. He didn't make the mistake of prolonged isolation, but he didn't have to return. That was his choice. And that gets into what we're talking about, how God leads it up, leaves it up to us. My failure, how does it become fruitfulness? You've got to decide you want to come back. You've got to decide to return. You've got to decide to get back where you're supposed to be. And so he's returned. Now, would you hold your place here? And go to John 21. John 21. He's been rebuked. He's felt remorse. He's been reassured. And so he repents. He's returned. So everything, everything's good now, right? Not quite. Because you know what comes like next? A reprimand. Oh, wait a minute. I thought everything's gonna be all right. It is gonna be all right. But that doesn't mean that we're exempt from whatever chastening or consequences comes with our failure. So what's the reprimand? John 21, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? He said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. What's Peter? What's Jesus doing here? He's kind of reprimanding Peter in front of the other disciples. Why? First of all, why did he ask him three times? That's not really much of a stretch, is it? He denied him three times. But why is he doing it in front of the other disciples? Because this was a public sin. This was a failure that they all knew about, and it needed to be fixed in front of everybody. So what did Peter do? He took it. Can I put it to you this way? He took his whooping. Doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love him. Doesn't mean that there's not a future. It means there needs to be a reprimand. And you may have some sin in your life that, yes, you've repented, but you still have to be chastened because God doesn't want you to go down that road again. Isn't it amazing when a kid does wrong? They're quick to say how sorry they are. But does that mean that they're necessarily exempt from the consequences? No. No. But then what happens? Restoration. You see, Peter's going from, from uh, help me, Lord, <laughs> failure. See, I just failed there. From failure to fruitfulness. How does he get there? It starts with a rebuke, remorse, reassurance. Repentance, return, reprimand, but then there's restoration. What's the restoration? What is a clear evidence that Jesus has restored Peter to full use? Acts chapter 2, verse number 14. (laughs) But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. And he goes on to preach maybe the greatest sermon ever preached by a man, not Jesus, in the history of the church. And what was the result? Verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What do you see? You see a failure that's become fruitfulness. His failure is long in the past. He's no longer paralyzed by it. And he's restored to fruitfulness in a mighty way. If you're sitting here today in a failure, I want you to know you don't have to stay there. Right. Amen. You follow this process. But there's one more thing. There's reinforcement. You see, we still have to deal with the failure and the propensity for it. What was Peter's failure? He denied Christ three times. So what's the reinforcement? Acts chapter 4, verse number 8. They've been preaching. The Lord used them to raise a man who was lame. And the same crowd that hated Jesus rolls up. And on pain of prison and even death, verse 7, and when they set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Peter has every opportunity in this moment to revert right back to his old failure. But what does he do? Verse 8. Then Peter... (laughs) Filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't you dare miss that. You only get here by being filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made, known, made whole, be it known to you all. And to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of peter and john and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with jesus you go from i don't know the man to everybody can see that you've been with jesus that's failure to fruitfulness. But just as with Peter, we've got to choose to return. We've got to choose to get back up. Can I remind you, Satan can't keep you down. You decide to stay down. A man named James Edwards says, Satan can provoke a conflict, but he cannot determine its outcome. So what? those of you that have been here a while, you know this already. I'm the pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church. I've been here 12 years. will be 13 next February. And this church is pastored by an abject failure. There's been so many things I've gotten wrong. Some of them has been with the best of intentions and the best of efforts, but it has still come up short. And some of it, like Brother Stewart used to say, sometimes all you can say about a man is he's just sorry. He told me that one time. Nobody in this church, but I asked him about a fellow. I said, I said, what's that dude's deal? He's just sorry. That's all you can say. He's just sorry. And sometimes... That's my only excuse. I'm just sorry. <laughs> but here's the thing, and I hope you don't take offense to this, because I mean it with all the love I can muster. What, makes, what keeps me from quitting, Aaron? If I know what a failure I am, what keeps me from quitting? I'll tell you what keeps pastor failure from quitting is that I know I pastor a bunch of failures. Yeah. We come up short all the time, don't we? It's not about whether or not we're failures, (laughs) y'all. If we're not failures, why did Jesus come? (laughs) And we all come up short. Accept it. But don't live in it. Because God gives us a process. And that failure, you may not think it, but that failure, if you'll let God have his way, and he won't force it, you have to let him. He'll turn you into something beautifully fruitful. The most amazing thing is not that God makes something beautiful. It's that he does so given what he has to start with. I have the propensity to fail. But because of Jesus, I also have the potential to be fruitful. And which it is for all of us is our choice.